0: Thank you very much for your contributions. My name is Brett, and I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests and you online. Welcome. Thank you for coming today and making us your church home for an hour. Really special. Turn with me over to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. Pastor Tellis and Pastor AJ... Uh, Excuse me, Pastor Tellis and Pastor Corey started a series on open. Pastor Tellis talked about open hands. What do you have in your hand? Make sure it's open. Pastor Corey last week talked about open eyes, making sure you're seeing the right thing. Today we're going to talk about open mouth. Open mouth. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Jesus is speaking and he says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, help us as we study your word. Luke chapter 11 also has this prayer, and it starts with how Jesus began to be inspired to teach him about this. Luke 11 says that the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. Now, the disciples are basically us. Not necessarily always the sharpest knives in the drawer, the brightest lights in the house. They just don't get it most of the time. Jesus gave the parable of the sower. It's the first parable he spoke of in, Ma- in Mark chapter 4. First one. The sower goes out to sow the word. Some fell among the path. Some fell am- on the soil, good soil. Some fell among the, the rocks. Some fell among the thorns. And the disciples came to him afterwards and said, what? What, what, what? what was that? I don't understand what you're saying at all. It, it was so surprising surprising, if you, if you will, to Jesus, that he says, don't you understand this? Generally, you don't want Jesus to be amazed with your ignorance. <laughs> that's, that's not how you want him to be, be going, wow. Don't you understand this? Because if you, if you don't understand this parable, you don't understand any of them. And then he went to explain it. We understand it because we read our Bible so much, but if we were in their shoes, we'd be in the same position. Spiritually, not very smart, dull. The disciples didn't get much right. I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. They're going to beat me. They're going to treat me real bad. I'm going to be buried and then rise again on the third day. Peter says, no, you're not. Uh-uh, not going to happen. Not going to happen. Jesus was so, so dissatisfied with Peter's answer. He says, get behind me, Satan. Again, you do not want Jesus to call you the devil. That's not the place where you want to be. You don't want to have that kind of response from him. The disciples just didn't get it. But if we had been in the same position where Peter was, hearing what Jesus was about to do after we had given up everything for him, given up his business, followed him, taken the disrepute that everybody had given him, and now it was mine, left everything for him, and then he says, by the way, I'm dying soon. And you just... Well, how? What's cool? No, you're not. No, I've given up too much for this. We would have been in the same spot, same spot, saying that is not going to happen. I will defend you so you don't die so I can be good. Not so much because I care about you, but I've given everything. You can't die? Not yet. Not till I get mine. (laughs) Dull. No clue. And this is one of the few times where they ask the right question. Lord, teach us to pray. They weren't quite sure how to communicate to God because their leaders, the religious leaders of the day, they were very, very open in their pontification. They would pray in the public squares and let everybody know how pious they were. They would make their religious actions very demonstrative But it didn't seem like anything that they were doing when they were talking to God matched anything they should do when they didn't talk to him. Hypocrisy was just the order of the day. And nobody wanted to follow him, but that was the only example people had about what it meant to communicate to God. And so they were trying to figure out what what is the right thing. And secondly, they didn't even use the name of God when they talked to him. Because there's there's a commandment, number three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And they have taken that. They had taken that during that time to such a degree that they wouldn't even say the name. The name of God of them was Yahweh. We transliterated that into our language of Jehovah. They wouldn't even say the name of God ever. When they wrote it, if they wrote God, G O D, from us, if you if you look at an English rabbi today, American rabbi speaks English, when they write God, they write G space D, because they don't want to ever take the name of the Lord in vain. Now, that's not what God meant. God didn't mean never use my name. He meant don't take it in vain. Don't use it without meaning. And so the disciples didn't even know whether they could say the name of God when they prayed. They were saying, we don't know what what to do. But we see you. You go like all night in prayer to God. What do you say? I mean, I can't talk to anybody all night. How do you do this? You communicate with such fluidity and, and, and comfort. And we're scared to death of who he is. We think he can only be really communicated with in the temple maybe when you're making a sacrifice. Can I really talk to him like you talk to him? Like go up on a mountain and just spend all night. Teach us to do what you do. The beauty about this request is that they had a hunger to communicate with the father. They didn't know it was the Father. They just knew it was God. Jesus was about to explain that to them. But they had a hunger. Do you have the same motivation when it comes to prayer that the disciples had in saying, i got a hunger to figure out how I can talk to him well? Do you think you already communicate to him well enough whereby you don't need any help? If that's the case, let me say that you're not talking to him well. Because prayer for the most part with us is relegated to what we think he needs to hear from us. Let me outline what I need. So that you know specifically how you can provide for me in the way that is most suitable for me. I need you. What we usually believe about prayer is to sign off on my plan. Would you please put your signature at the bottom of my ideas about how life ought to go and we're good. That's what prayer is for us. Or it's a 911 moment. Help! I'm in trouble. I've driven my life into a ditch. I need the divine Holy Ghost tow truck to pull me out, oh, Lord. Please, please help me, Lord. Help me! But it's still all about me. Still all about me. And we think that when we have at least talked to him faithfully, maybe once a week, Maybe we've said our our traditional prayers. If you grew up Catholic, you did your Hail Marys. You're our fathers. Whatever is tradition for you, you feel like you have checked the box. And that is not at all what the disciples were thinking about. Where's your hunger to be taught how to communicate with the Father? Please, if you don't have it, develop it. We're going to look at this prayer today as an outline that allows us to know the things that need to be said first. Now, this is not, not graduate-level prayer. This is, this is, this is entry-level prayer. This is, this is freshman, one-on-one class prayer. Paul talks in different levels about prayer in his epistles. I pray that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you might know what the hope of your calling is, and that you, with... With, would know what the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints are. And he goes on, and all these apostolic prayers takes it to another level, another level, another level. How he prayed was like, wow, like wow. And this is wow, but this is not that wow. When you get to the level at which Paul was, you communicate to God differently. I'm not there. I want to be there. I'm trying to be there. I don't know anybody else who can pray like Paul prayed and get the, get the results that Paul got. But this here is the way you get to there, by making sure that you follow what Jesus said. Now, this prayer has usually been prayed as that which uh, is kind of done by rote. So my mother, it's the first thing she taught me when I went to bed. Every night, say the Lord's Prayer. So I would say this prayer by rote. But Jesus never intended it to be said as a routine, as word by word. He's saying, pray in this manner. Use this as a template for your prayer life so that you know how you ought to approach God with your words. When you open your mouth, you will speak well. Use this. And it's not just, it's not just a, an outline by way of, of filling in the blank <clears throat> in that you pray in this manner. It's also a heart intent. It's, it's what motivates you to come to prayer. It's making sure your mind is right. Your heart is motivated in the right direction pray in this manner and he starts with our father wow that was revolutionary for these old testament guys remember the idea of calling god daddy would really only come into vogue after jesus rose from the dead and we experienced people the born-again experience where we actually got born all over again by heaven by the father and now we could call him daddy the idea of, in fact, if you, I know this is going to blow your mind a little bit, but all of the, the, the Gospels um, are in the Old Testament time period, the Old Covenant time period, meaning before Jesus died and rose. And so these guys are still functioning with an old mindset because their minds and their hearts have not yet been renewed. To actually talk about God being Father was revolutionary for these guys not so much for paul he came into the thing understanding he needed to be born again and call god daddy but these guys had only known god as jehovah this awesome being that controlled the universe and could strike you dead in a minute if you did something wrong that's pretty much how they knew him daddy wait are you serious our father i can say that Boy, that changes everything. Because I kind of know how to talk to my dad. I I can talk to him a little bit like that? Well, a little bit. (laughs) At least you have the relationship foundation. And secondly, he didn't say my father. This is a corporate prayer. And it's a reminder that you are not an only child. That there are people that God has, that he calls his kids, that he loves just as much as you and probably likes more than you. (laughs) And many of those people you really don't like and you would like God to be in concert with your feelings. I don't like them. You shouldn't like them. Do you know what they did to me? Do you understand how much they hurt me? I am mad at them. Will you feel like I feel toward them? Be careful. Because every time you point the finger at somebody that you feel God needs to get, somebody's pointing the finger back at you. Mercy ought to be the standard operating procedure of your life. Mercy. I don't care what somebody has done for you. Mercy. Why? Because you are still breathing. Why? Not because you deserve it. Because God has mercy on you every day if he did not predispose himself toward mercy, gone Brett would be. The only reason I continue to draw breath is because he is so kind and so benevolent and so forgiving. Thus, if he treats me this way, I probably ought to treat other people the same way. Isn't it the height of hypocrisy? to receive something that you need really bad and happy about it, and then somebody else needs the same thing you've got, and you won't be the distributor to help them? Oh, you like, to, you like to get, but you don't want to give. Our Father, not my. you got to think about all those people who are children of God, most of whom you don't like, who aren't in heaven, So he's not like the earthly fathers. He's the template from which all fatherhood came. He's different. He is otherworldly in his disposition and love and kindness and patience. He never flies off the handle. He doesn't let, let anger be the thing by which he makes decisions or discipline. He's not selfish. He's only thinking about your well-being. He is the best daddy. The best So when you talk to him, you can talk to him without reference to whatever bad happened to you when you were growing up. You don't have to use that as a template for how God is. He's not that. He is completely different and will always treat you perfect. Perfect. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So you you recognize that you're in the family. You recognize he's your daddy. You recognize you can talk to him as a a covenantal child. Beautiful. But let's not get too familiar. He's still God Almighty. Holy is your name. Hallowed. Hallowed means set apart, sacrosanct, consecrated, different than every other name on the planet. No name like yours. None, 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 none. So I want to hold it with reverence. I never want to use it in a way that is is distasteful or meaningless. Again, commandment number three, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. There is a good way to apply that command without being overly bearing like the religious leaders were. You want to make sure that the name of God is held with high regard in your mouth and in your life. Now, most of the time, we think taking the name of the Lord in vain is that which either uses God's name as an expletive or uses it in a way without much meaning, but to make a point. Oh my, you're not praying, but why are you why are you invoking His name? Now, I'm not trying to be super religious. I'm not going to be the police that comes along and says, "Stop that! Don't say that! Don't even text OMG." I'm not that guy I'm not that guy I'm just trying to make a point what is the purpose of it if not to invoke him into the situation and if you are not trying to invoke him into the situation you're using his name without meaning now why is that important because when you need to use it with meaning it may not mean much when it comes out of your mouth because you've used it so much without meaning somebody does something Jesus they're not praying they're not praying but what happens when somebody is sick and then the Lord is asking you to pray for them in the name of Jesus and you lay your hands on them and you pray for them, and trying to believe God for a miracle and it comes out of your mouth in the name of Jesus but it doesn't have the right sound to it it's religiously correct It's formulaically on point, but it doesn't have the right sound because there's no power behind it. You've emptied the word of its power by using it without meaning so often that when you use it, it doesn't have much. It doesn't mean that the name doesn't have power. It does. It just may not have much when you say it. Evidence by the fact, you look at Acts chapter 19, city of Ephesus. Seven sons of Sceva... These were good guys. They were trying to do something really good. They had a buddy of theirs that was full of devils, demons. Possession is still a thing. If you don't believe in possession, oppression. Influence, I don't care. But demons are still working in the lives of people. And these demons were messing up their buddy's life. And so they came together, these seven sons, and said, Okay, we're going to practice our exorcism craft. Um, we used to do it this way, but there's this guy named Paul who came up in town the other day, and he was doing it, and wow, it worked for him. So we're going to use whatever he said in be- on behalf of him to see if it works for us. And so they found their buddy, brought him in, and said to the devils in his life, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. Right words. No power. Because it was just a formula. The demons on the inside of the fellow looked at them and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. What's your name again? (laughs) Proceeded to beat them within a half inch of their life. And may I say, they left with fewer clothes than they came in the door with. Ran for their lives. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain relegate it for its proper use so that when it comes out of your mouth it's not formulaic it's relational and you are a delegate of heaven been dispatched by almighty God to exact his will in the earth when it comes out of your mouth and he backs your words with all the power of heaven don't take his name in vain secondly if there was a uh, and this doesn't happen very often, but I need, I need to use it as an analogy. If there was a woman who married a, a man and she took his name um, and then decided six months later that there were a couple of other guys that were better than the one she said, I do to, and decided to go off with them. It would be fair to say that she took her husband's name in vain. Hello, Christian. Hello, Christian. Taking the name of the Lord in vain means much more than just whatever you say out of your mouth. It means if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to be identified as a believer, live like it. You live like it every day of your life. Perfection has all sprouted wings and flown away a long time ago. We can't ever attain it. It's over. But consistency ought to be the order of the day for you. That if you claim that you are a Christian, live like it every day and make sure that you are not the person that everybody else looks to and says, I ain't trusting God because I know them. I don't believe in Jesus because them, they say they're a believer. Mm, they don't do anything different than me. They gossip like me. They're selfish like me. They talk bad about people like me. They go to the bars like me. They drink like me and I drink really bad. They sleep around like me. What does what their Sunday morning mean? Why do I need to follow them to church? Don't be fat. Hold on to the name of Jesus, Christian. As people who want to represent him every day and feeling like it's your responsibility, my point is this. Jesus says, when you pray, think about these things. Fill in this outline with, oh, Lord, you're my dad, and I'm so grateful I'm in the family. Thank you for the born-again experience. Thank you for the access that you've given me to come to the throne where I can actually speak with you, Daddy. And, 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 and not just do it as a servant, but as a son with an inheritance. I'm so grateful. And, 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 and Lord, I want to make sure that when I am a, 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 a going out of my door today as a, as a believer, I want to make sure that I represent you well. I'm not taking your name in vain today. Whether it be in my lips or whether it be in my life, I choose to live the way you want me to. Oh, God, thank you. I I start off my day this way. This is what Jesus is saying, pray like. And then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first is worship and recognition of God. The second is making sure that his needs are met before your needs. His needs are met before yours. I want your kingdom to rule in my life rather than the one that I've set up. Everybody has their own version of their kingdom. It might be insignificant and really small. It might be a 400-square-foot apartment, but it's your kingdom. Lord, I want your will, I want your kingdom to be done in my life more than whatever I've set up where I think I'm in charge. I choose to submit to you rather than to me. I place you over my thoughts. I place you on my soul, my heart, my heart so that my heart intent will be bent toward you rather than me. My decision-making, my actions. You are the king of my life, and I choose to submit to your authority every day. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I want your will more than mine. I don't want me to run me. I want you to run me. Whatever your word says, I'm going to do. I'm not going to balk at it. I'm not going to try to figure out if i got a better idea. What your word says, I plan to do. I'm not going to disobey today. Your will is more important than mine. And you are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth just like it's done there. Just like it's done in heaven. So whatever it would look like when I pass from here to there, that's what I want it to look like here. We are asking God not to take us to glory. We are asking God to bring glory to our lives here. That he would bring heaven on earth through us. That his perfect will and the expression of his kingdom, the realm of his rule, would be no better seen in our life than any place else. That's what we're looking for. I may not have said that right, but you know what I mean. Then we get to. The, last, uh, the, 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 the part of re- requests that allow us to understand why we needed to pray all the other stuff first. He says, Lord, give me today my daily bread. If you pray this prayer well, you will have prayed at least five, ten minutes before you ever got to what you need. And why did Jesus put it like this? Because you can't pray what you need to pray until you know what he needs you to pray. And the only way you can know what he needs you to pray is to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my life. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in my life. You set the priorities right, then you know how you ought to communicate to him. You're no longer praying your will, but his. You know that passage over in Matthew, uh, John 14 where it says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it for you. Well, people think they can just pray any prayer and slap the name of Jesus on it and it's going to work. Lord, I need a new high-powered speedboat in Jesus' name. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with getting a speedboat. I'm not mad at you if you do. And in fact, if you do, invite me on it. <laughs> I'm not mad at you. But my point is, the issue that Jesus was trying to address is not that you can get whatever you want. It's that when you pray under the authority of my name, when you pray under the umbrella of my will that is encapsulated by my name, I will do whatever you ask. Why? Because it's already been ordained by me. Why wouldn't I want to do it if it's my will? But now your will is so in line with his will that his will is being done in your life and you like it because it feels like your will. And all things are being done well. But you can't get to there until you pray the second part to get to the third. I need your will to be done in my life. Now, Lord, I need this today. And he's not just talking about food. Whatever you need that day, give me my daily provision today. Health, wisdom, understanding, finances, strength, patience, whatever you need. He says, then now pray that after you have already gotten the priorities set. Once you understand his priorities need to be in front of yours, then you can pray your priorities after his. And he will give you what you want. This is how we open our mouth before God. Then he says, Lord. Forgive all the people who owe me something, just like I forgive, no, 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 excuse me. Forgive forgive me for all the things I owe you, just like I forgive everybody else who owes me something. Sounds real poetic, but dangerous. If you have prayed this prayer and haven't done what it said, you brought judgment down in your life. You said, forgive me, just like I forgive everybody else. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking to people that have forgiven everybody who has hurt them. There's nobody there outstanding that has a debt that you think you're owed. Every, all the slates are clean. I'm sorry. I should have. I I, the first service had, didn't have that, that, that issue. They needed help. Here, Jesus speaks about relationships. He's not, gonna, he's not letting you get out of the prayer closet without dealing with your relationships. He's not. And you can't skip over this part because it's too hard. You, ha- you have to pray. <laughs> you've got to pray this prayer. So that means you've got to forgive people. Lest you ask God to forgive you like you are not forgiving others. And that's not good. So it makes you do inventory on people that have hurt you. And I know betrayal, backbiting, hurtful words. People have done you wrong. I get it. And it is bad. how much wrong have you done, God? I mean, generally, we can count the number of things that people have done to us. Because once they really hurt us bad, we don't give them the opportunity to do it again. So we can generally count. If somebody has hurt you real bad five times, you're generally saying, I just canceled them. I just canceled them. How many times have you sinned against God? Are there enough days left in your life to count the number of times? God has no, and when I say this, I'm speaking hyperbolically, he has no understanding of why you can't forgive somebody who's hurt you a couple of times real deeply when he has forgiven you real deeply thousands of times. He has no Understanding of why that's a problem for you. None. You won't find much at all in terms of sympathy because he needed the most sympathy just to forgive you. You can't get out of the prayer closet without understanding the depth of forgiveness that you got and did not deserve. And when you have the perspective of how much he has forgiven you and how little you won't forgive, your eyes are open to your own hypocrisy and your heart begins to melt. And you say, I'm sorry. Lord, I don't know how to do it. It hurts, I know. But forgiveness has nothing to do with relieving pain. It's a decision. It's not an emotional one. It's a decision. You just wake up one day and say, I choose to cancel that debt that that person owes me. It's over. They owe me nothing. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me money. They don't owe me a a redo so they can get it right. They owe me nothing. I release them completely. And the beauty is this. When you release them, you're free. Free. You're, not, you're not going to sleep with them in your brain, you're not waking up with them on your brain. you're not driving to work with them on your brain. You're free. But still the pain is there, so then you go to God and you say, "Lord, I need help." I'm just, I'm just hurting. said, "Oh, I can deal with that. Yeah, I can, I can help you. I, I know what pain's like. I took it on the cross. I, I know what pain is like because I've been with you. I know what pain is like. So let let me see if I can heal you with that. Heal you from that. And then you present yourself before God and the balm of Gilead, the, 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 the power that flows from the cross covers your soul and makes you better. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The way out to pleasure and sin is real short. It, it doesn't take long to do wrong. It really doesn't. In 24 hours, you can really mess up your life. Completely mess up your life. I mean, it's almost so bad that it's, it's, it's almost impossible to fix. In 24 hours, you, some of y'all are really good. You can do it at 12. You got a lot of skill at this. Practice. You're perfect. You are experts at it. You can destroy your life in just a little bit. The way out with sin and pleasure is short. The way back, long. What you mess up can't be cleaned up in 24. You embezzle money from your company that took you 24 hours to steal through all of your machinations and your your accounting uh, aberrations. You get caught 10 to 15 behind bars. The way back is really long. You who have not been faithful to your spouse. That 24 hours was really pleasurable. But now they found out the way back is long. It's long. Jesus says this, I got a remedy. Yes, there's forgiveness and there's restoration for all the other stuff. But what if we start from the place where you don't even do wrong? What if we start from the place of saying, Lord, keep me away from stupid. (laughs) Keep me away from stupid and deliver me from all evil. Hallelujah. 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 I'm not going to go that way. Lord, I need help. I know if I'm in charge of my life, I will go that way. I will do wrong. My flesh will always want to go the wrong direction. But I need you today to direct me so that I don't go left when I should go right. Help me, Lord. He's asking you to pray for direction that the Holy Spirit would guide you in the most proper way so you don't have to take the long way home. As a pastor, I deal with people who always have to take the long way home. And it's painful to watch how their lives have been destroyed by one 24-hour moment. One, one. Pray this prayer when I walk out of my door today. Keep me away from stupid. Lastly, worship. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, anything good that happens today as a result of this prayer is not because I (laughs) prayed. It's not because I'm so good. It's not because I'm so smart. It's not because I'm so pious. It's not because I'm holy. It's because you're so good. You are amazing. You empower me to be right. I'd I'd be all wrong if it weren't for you. You're the only one who can make me right. So when anything good happens, you get all the glory and the power. All the credit goes to you. This is your doing, not mine. I'm not good enough to produce anything for you well. It's worship again. Worship. I've taken about 38 minutes to describe what Jesus was trying to convey here. If you prayed this prayer in this manner, to some degree, probably take you 15 to 20 minutes. If you prayed it with earnest and you began to fill in the blanks well. So you have to get up. You've got to set your alarm a little earlier. Boy, but, but, but would you walk out of your house different? Different. May God help you to open your mouth like this. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Help us to pray the way we should in Christ's name.